0: Welcome to Tribecast. I'm Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I'm gonna help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to Tribecast. I am Forrest Walden and I am excited this morning to be joined by Ken Polk, a good friend of mine, a longtime client of Iron Tribe and overall just successful dude. Glad to have him on this morning. Ken, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be here, Forrest. So, Ken, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and uh, we'd love to get introduced to you. All right, so... Um
1: Uh, Ken Polk, and I am um, the CEO of Arlington Family Offices, and Arlington Family Offices um, started in 1998, and we serve approximately 48 families. Uh, One is based in the UK, one in Canada, the rest in the US, and really what we do for families is really kind of handle all of their personal and family finances. I guess that's probably the core of what we do. Um, but at the end of the day, what we call it is we actually help them build better families and enhance their lives. And so that's the, really the core work that we do on a day-to-day basis, even though most of it is really financial-based.
0: What led to that? Were yeah. you, did you have a finance background? Did you, were you a CPA? How did you get into that, that field? Yeah, so I, I actually started pretty early. Um, I actually went to
1: college to play baseball uh, at uh, Lipscomb in Nashville. And after a couple of years, uh, I stopped playing baseball. I realized that was not going to be my future. Um, and then after that, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? I'd been studying accounting and getting, and I was interested in accounting. So getting my accounting degree, I also started going to a local bookstore and reading uh, some of the first books written by Dave Ramsey. Okay. And so, yeah, so I was reading books um, on financial piece and how to be successful financially. And, you know, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the next level here. And I actually went and got my securities license when I was 20 years old. So I was um, very young when I started reading financial books, getting interested in it, and then getting the accounting degree at the same time. I really thought, you know, these things kind of go together, the kind of the financial planning piece and the accounting piece go together. And I just kept that in the back of my mind. And then As I graduated from school and then went and got the CPA and then started working for an international CPA firm, um, I still, in the back of my mind, thought, these things can actually go together. And then after being at that international CPA firm for a couple of years, I actually started what is now Arlington Family Offices,
0: January of 1998. Okay. And so at that point, you were how old? I was 25. Wow. Okay, so you're 25 years old, and you say, I'm going to manage other people's money. And I know from experience of friends who've gone into this field, like that's a tough gig when you're talking to wealthy people at 25 saying, I'm going to manage your money. So did it start slow? Yeah, and so w- what I did, and, and there's always
1: a story behind the story. So, sure. The story behind the story is I was um, very fortunate to have a couple of, of individuals that really trusted me. And I told them two simple things. I told them, number one, I would work very hard and I would be a learner. And number two, I would create an advisory board with a little gray hair. And so that part was important. And and, and that actually became the beginning of what I would tell everyone is one of the secrets, is really getting a group of mentors around you as an individual, uh, as an organization, and um, so th- that was really a big part of it. And those two families actually ended up entrusting me. And then what we did is really just embarked upon a journey to grow Arlington um, at approximately two families per year. So been in business now for 21 years and serve approximately 48 families and. Um, yeah but it all started with the two and so we call it the the Noah's ark
0: approach and just grow slowly and um, that's how that's how it started so are you still on that trajectory to a year or are you reached a
1: point where you don't want to grow anymore no we we actually so that that's the interesting thing about growth and that's the what I would call the healthy tension within within an organization is how much do you grow because there's this there's this bad word in business and it's it's entropy. And entropy sets in when there's nothing put in motion. And so we've always tried to balance what is the right amount of growth. And we we always say that two families are are, are good. Um, and, and also just to back up a little bit, we, we only serve families, so we know what we're doing. But the growth piece of it is important because we have to be able to manage that growth in two seems to be the right number, there will be some times where it's three. You just you just can't. Mm-hmm. And there will be
0: years when there is one, but on average, there has been two uh, per year. What kind of pipeline is there for landing a new family? I assume that's a pretty long sales process. It is, it is. And so we what we
1: consider it is really relationship building. We're looking for what we call positively disruptive families, positively disruptive clients. There are two types of clients: positively disruptive and negatively disruptive. Mm-hmm. And so, the negatively disruptive clients, we're trying to learn are there ways that we can help them? Do they uh, do they have the same values and philosophy that we do? Do they believe in the things that we do and the way um, that we are organized? and so and and also a a positively disruptive client or family helps us grow so we're interested in growing so there's there's really kind of you grow the firm and people think of revenues and they think of all but we think of it as not only just kind of the 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 stats but also the um
0: the personal growth that you can learn from these different families so I imagine these are dynamic, impactful, wealthy families. Is there a minimum requirement to work with you? Yeah, so we, we normally try to shy away from from the, the
1: asset number. And we've actually, as a firm over the last 10 years, moved to a term called souls under management. So we actually, in those 48 families, have 269 souls under management. Wow. And so we've actually moved away from that. Now, most of our families do have... Uh, more than 70 to 100 million of, of assets. But that is something that we really don't... We never tell a family there's a there's a minimum. And so we try to move away from that on purpose. Um, for It's a small detail, but we think
0: it's important as we talk to different families. Yeah, it's interesting that you measure it that way because we look at lives changed. Mm-hmm. That's our number yeah. one metric. How many lives changed do we have across the brand? Um, and it really you know, it really brings the connection piece of why you're doing what you're doing when you really look at how many people you're truly impacting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ken, you are a super, super humble dude. In fact, just saw Jake this morning, uh, and he said, who are you having on this morning? And he said, Ken. He said, I love that guy. He's so humble. So you're known as a humble guy, and so I'm going to make you brag a little bit here because people could could miss uh, how successful you've been with Arlington. But to the extent you're comfortable, talk about – The success you've had uh, with Arlington, and let me just back that up with some of my best friends in life consider you a mentor, whether it's Spencer Sutton or Rhett Bennett or Casey Graham. I mean, the list goes on of people that you've impacted, and you've been able to do that because you have been so successful and made such good decisions in business. So is it assets under management? I mean, what is the metric in your industry that would say Arlington has been a very successful wealth management firm? Yeah, so we, we would um, our, our families represent approximately fifteen
1: billion of capital, um, and again we we shy away from those type numbers. But if you have to you have to look and say uh, in, in regulatory filings, hey, what do you oversee and what do you what do your families represent? And so those are the the type of numbers that our families represent um, from just a a number of, we have. 40 people approximately, maybe 41, 39 people that, that we have at Arlington. Um, we have two offices, one here in Birmingham and one in Nashville. So, oh, I didn't know the Nashville. When did, did that open. open? Yeah, so about three years ago. So okay. We actually have what's called a, a trust office. We have a private trust company. In that trust company, most families uh, over time, dynastically by the third generation, end up in trust. Mm. So de facto uh, firms like
0: ours become trust companies. Yeah. So, okay. So, forty full time staff. Yes. And fifteen billion under management. So, twenty one years ago, you're starting at the age of twenty five. Did you have any vision, aspiration to be at this point, or are you a little amazed you're at this point now? Yeah, and so that's probably part of my my DNA. Um, and um, so
1: I, the way I think about those things is, is, I just enjoy the process. I enjoy I enjoy the the not not thinking about the results, but the day-to-day gains and day-to-day growth and the day-to-day things that I can do to make things happen. So if I looked and thought about what I, you know, it, 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 I joke with the team a lot of times when I tell the new people coming in, you know, uh, you know if, if you were breathing, you could be a client when you start, you know, when we just opened up at Arlington yep. and then, you know, over time we learned how to add better clients. And what I would say to you is that I never really had a vision of what it, what it would be today, but I had a vision of the impact we could possibly have in the different families. And I always tell people too, is that there is, um, uh, and this keeps me humble, is there's a, there's a lot of luck in what the, the, way and, um, the way that things are arranged as well as the people you come in contact in life. Whether you want to call it who luck, I've heard people call it who luck. And mm-hmm. there's always somebody behind. And so I've always um, got it in the back of my mind is that recognize where you are is because of someone else. Uh, and I always just tell myself that is that wherever Arlington is, wherever, it's really because of somebody else. It's really
0: just I'm just yeah. i just I've just followed a process on a day to day basis. Paul said, what do you have that you have not been given? That's right. We've always got to keep that in mind, no matter That's how right. successful we thought we've been or how hard we've worked. Yeah. And everything has been given to us. That's, That's a good true. word. So what I hear, Ken, and it's so consistent with who you are, is just an intentionality of who you serve and how you've grown. I'm curious, from 2 to 48, how many of those were referral-based? Yeah. So almost all
1: yeah. are referral. In, in, in our industry, it's very boutique so, and that's part of a decision. One of the, and, and I read this later on, but there's a great book called Small Giants. And it really all, it almost lets people off the hook. So, because I think what happens is the way that um, the, the message is a lot to entrepreneurs is you have to grow. You have to be a certain size. You got to do this. You got to grow or you grow, Yeah, there you go. You grow or up, And you got to grow fast, exponential growth. And what really the reality is, is that there are great, incredible companies that have had controlled growth, very intentional processes and systems, and that are going to be lasting for a lot longer, Mm. 200 years. And so I realized early on, that's really what, that that really spoke to me, is that to build something that would outlast me, and also it really reflected the families we served. So I'll always say, well, let's dig a level deeper and say, well, really, what would our Clients want Arlington to be. And if we
0: become that, then we'll be successful. That's good. Yeah, okay. So with the 48 families, I'm curious, how many of those are first-generation wealth? How many of those are second- and third-generation wealth? So we actually
1: report this information to our advisory board. Um, The only unfortunate thing is it was a few months ago, so I'll be a little bit off. (laughs) on my... You can swag it. Exactly, I can swag it. So the... um, it has changed over the last 20 years, as you can imagine. We had a lot of first generations out of the gate. Um, now, if you looked across our families, only about 25% are first generation. Hmm. That is very normal with a practice like ours or a business, that as the generations mature, and, and we've actually had 10 families where the matriarch, generation one matriarch and patriarch have passed in 10 families that we're still serving those 10
0: families. Okay, so those 10 would now count... As, as a second, second generation. And third generation. Okay. Even though you started with first generation. Correct. Right. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so of the other 38, how many came in as first generation and how many came in as second? Yeah. And I would say, on,
1: I would not be off by far, but probably 50% came in as generation
0: one. Okay. And I'm just fascinated by this topic. Like you, I'm a big Dave Ramsey reader. I don't know if you've read Chris Hogan's new book on the millionaires the Ten Year Millionaire Study. They no, did. No. You should. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's very consistent with the Millionaire Next Door and just all the studies of how millionaires truly live. It's just an updated version. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm always uh, amazed at how most of the generational wealth is still first generation, and what people think is, oh, millionaires are. You know, the trust fund babies, the professional athletes, the movie stars, when in reality that's like 1% of all the millionaires. It's the everyday guys getting up and going to work every day, uh, producing wealth. Okay, so I know you to be a voracious reader. uh, You said from the beginning, I mean, two of your really core values of starting, work hard and be a learner and form your advisory group. What are you reading and studying now that's impacting you? so I have... um,
1: I have a reading plan, um, and so one of the things that I think about when I when I am asked, oh, "What are you reading today?" is there's really two buckets. One is is okay. Well, there's some books that I read every year, these same books every year, um, and so those books are Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, Built to Last by Jim Collins. Mm, so the, the, That's great. Yeah, one. and so. I actually reread those books and what i Is done, EMyth still on the annual list? So EMyth was one of them early on. Okay. I have actually adjusted that one. And so So I, it's more of semi annual or Well and E Myth is a it, that is a wonderful book, especially for the, the beginning entrepreneur trying to create systems 100%. in their business. And I still talk about it that's probably one of the books has made the biggest impact as it relates to systems thinking, which I know it's a whole nother topic, but I think that's one of the keys to success is creating great systems mm-hmm. that, that then you know create some behaviors and things that are going on in, in the companies that you run or that you operate or even families. I think it, it applies. But on the reading side, I really um, believe there's these core books that are character development books or business character. So I think business has a character too. Mm-hmm. It's, some people call it culture. Yep, it is culture, but it's character. Yep. And so I have these like pillar books that I read. And then I have these other books. I'm always trying to replace those books with books that are that are better, that are kind of upgrade them. But in reality, I haven't found a lot of books better than The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People for mm-hmm. business, built to last. And maybe that's because it reflects what Arlington looks like, more of a built to last. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another great one is Essentialism, um, which is a newer version of a book that I replaced called Margin, that was mm-hmm. written back in 1992. Hmm. Um, talks about building in margin into your life. And so, but those are the kind of the pillar books. And then I read in it, my world's investment too, so I read The Intelligent Investor every single year. It's one of the greatest investment books hmm. ever written. Uh, but on the other side, I'm reading other books at the same time, I just finished up Superhuman by Habit. And so it's a short read, and uh, then I said you know, sent it out to the family and said, hey, I'll pay you for your notes. You know, so that's the other thing. It's like
0: I, I try to read books that are applicable to business but also to, to the family. So when you say the family, you're talking about your personal family. Yes. So you're sending this book to your children. Yes. Okay. And you're literally paying them to take notes on the book. Yes. I love it. Yep. All right. So I'm going to put that in my back pocket because I want to come back to that. Okay. Um, so you mentioned work hard and be a learner. Mm-hmm. I have seen you the whole – I mean, all the years I've known you, that, that has been – If I were to describe you, that's how I would describe you. And then secondly, the advisory board, which I find interesting because you have served in that capacity for me. When we were starting Neverthirst, you were one of the first people we put on our board, and you were instrumental in helping us really launch and start that ministry that just celebrated its 10-year uh, anniversary. So, talk to me a little bit about that advisory board process and who you have on there. Yeah. Maybe not specifically, if you don't want to, but kind of who you're looking for, and um, has that has that been something you've upgraded as yeah. you've built your business? Yeah, and so what? Um, and th- this is uh,
1: learning. So, what I'm going to talk about now is. I didn't show up like this, but I, I learned this. And so our advisory board at Arlington specifically, and I think you can actually translate this into your, your personal life, but um, what I found out is there are two characteristics that are super important for an advisory board member. Um, the, num- the number one is is they actually love me, they, or, or they love Arlington. So they, they actually have a care for me as a person and the other individuals, partners, owners that are working in the business every day. So that, that's number one. And then the second characteristic I think is important is, is that our mission helps them effectuate their dream. Hmm. If I can find advisory board members with those two criteria, it's it's a home run. And so that those are the two characteristics. So our advisory board is made up of four individuals now. So we have someone who um, is in Switzerland, someone who lives in Aspen, someone who lives in New York, and then Seattle. And all of them are are related to the business that we're in. They've all served families or been in families. And specifically, one of them has been a CEO. He's about 10 years ahead of me. And so I actually asked him to be on the board. He's got a firm very similar to ours. And I've asked him to be on our board to help me finish strong as the founder and CEO. And so he's about, again, about 10 years ahead of me.
0: Okay, so four individuals, do you bring them in for in person meetings? Do y'all have destination meetings? And how often do you meet? Yep. So we actually have a call,
1: and it's on a monthly basis, and it's about a 30 minute update call. And then we have a mid year um, video meeting, and then we have an annual in person meeting that's a destination.
0: Okay. So it's not a super huge time commitment from there. Correct. But you're able, and I'm sure you're always able to pick up the phone and bounce ideas off of yep. anytime something's pressing. That's right. It's so powerful because anything that comes
1: up, I know one of the four, I can pick up the phone, email, or call and get an immediate response. And again, it goes back to those two characteristics. Is mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking about us. We're thinking about them. And so it works out. Really well. But they're not clients. They're not clients. Okay. Would, yeah. would it work to have a client on I the board? I think advisory it'd be board? tough. Yeah, I do too. I think it'd be tough. In, in, in our role, it'd be tough because our advisory board does not own any of Arlington. Mm-hmm. They really are, uh, they, they are on the, they're they on the lookout for Arlington. And, and I, I actually, in our system, am in full accountability to them. So I, I consider myself as the CEO accountable to our advisory board, even though they don't have ownership. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody loves you, then they're going to tell you the truth. It's the fateful wound that they're Mm -hmm. going to give you. Mm -hmm. And so they don't get into the operations of Arlington, but they get into the, you know, Hey, here are the things that I need your assistance with. And they give us like conflict free, you
0: know, advice. That's great. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to transition, obviously super successful in business. I have great stellar reputation from anybody I've ever known who've known you or worked with you. Um, But my, uh, premise on this show has been that doesn't come uh, at least it doesn't come in a lasting format like you've done in your after without really um, being weaponized in the other three domains of your life so I want to start with body and talk about what you do daily weekly basis to make sure that you stay sharp physically and then how does that translate into you showing up every day with energy and passion and vigor in your role as CEO Yep, and so my uh Discipline in this has changed over time,
1: and so one of the things is I've always, um, I've always, like enjoyed the discipline of uh, being physically fit. So I've actually enjoyed that. So some people, and maybe it's because I started at an, an early age doing it and uh, was in sports, um, but I actually went through what most people don't know is I went through a period after college. In between that and the time that I started um, really getting back, I would call getting back in shape, is that I kind of let it go. Um, not eating great. And I was like, you know, when you're young and you start a business, it's like, well, this stuff, you're going to be fine. But the reality was, is it wasn't. So it really kind of caught up with me.
0: So, and I had lost the passion for it for two or three years. And so. Well, I find that very common with athletes who've always had coaches making them do something. And all of a sudden, when you have to do it for your own, it's really, it's a whole new skill set, yeah, right? A very valid point. So it's it's
1: interesting because I think that it's a system. You, you, you've got a system that you have to get up, you have to be there, you have to do it. You were an athlete, you did the same thing. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've got to create your own systems. That's right. Well, I went through a period where I didn't have a great system. So, and so that was only two or three years. But I actually enjoyed the it, and it just was, work had kind of pushed it out. So that was a time for me to rebalance around when I was 28, 29 years old. I'm 46 now, yeah. So, but on a day-to-day basis, today is there's my kind of the way that I do it is that I'm an afternoon workout. I've tried it in the morning, <laughs> It doesn't work. So I'm a quiet time in the morning, okay. and I'm a workout in the afternoon. And okay. if you, you know, you'll see me at, you know, 4:45 uh, Iron Tribe. Uh, at the Mount Brook location, yep. so that's that's
0: that's how I and do. You've it. been doing that almost almost ten years now yeah, because yeah. you started when we opened January of 08. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, January of '10. Yeah, and and actually, I'll
1: I'll give you credit. You actually taught me how to do my first muscle up in your backyard. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah, so you had the poles. Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. Yes, I'll never forget it. And so I said, farce, you know. So I actually was. It was kind of neat, you know, working in, working out in your garage before yep. you, you started it up, and then since ever since then I've been, you know, an original member, enjoyed it, and my goal is, and, and I've I've always thought about, okay, what's my goal with this? Is my goal is actually to be doing this when I'm seventy, yeah. So longevity, and longevity. So over time, what I've simply done is dialed it back a little bit. So I know some of the workouts you and I used to do together early on. I was really the, you know, pushing the heavier weights, and mm-hmm. I've just dialed it back a little bit, and it's been great. And so my my discipline is is that I try to do that four days a week. Okay, and then I enjoy running, so I run on the weekend,
0: and uh, you know maybe one time, but always have a couple of days rest uh, mixed in. Okay, well you're super lean; you can't see that on the podcast. What about diet? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so I actually um, I went through; I've tried
1: several different things. Um, one of those was just low carbs and um but what i've learned is is that if i cut out carbs too much i actually lose weight so mm-hmm. my my discipline in that area is like i've always thought okay for my size what weight should i be i never thought am i overweight or underweight or the right what i thought is is what is the right range for my body build mm-hmm. and i've always thought okay well that's i'm not going to be like to the pound, but it's a ten-pound range, and I'm going to be within that range. Yep. And so, what I've done is just diet in that. And so, over time, though, what I've done is gotten better about what I've eaten. And so, I think that that's one of the things that improvement is just like continually looking for for
0: ways to um, you know improve diet over time. So, are you super disciplined? Do you bring food to work? Do you eat out? I know you travel some. Mm-hmm. Like, how militant are you around diet? Yeah. So, I am. Not super militant.
1: Now, if you talk to my family, my kids, my wife, she may say something totally different. Yeah. But I wouldn't see myself as totally militant. But I would see, say that I am very consistent. I eat the same thing every day if I'm in town, the same place, the same thing every day. Yep. And so, you know, everybody at the office knows where I'm going to be for lunch and what I'm eating. Mm-hmm.
0: And so and it's very simple. It's a, it's a wrap. Got so. it. So talk to me about how that discipline translates into your ability to be an effective CEO. Yeah. Because you and I have both seen men who've crushed it in business and have lost their body in the process. Yeah. Right? They never got that system back. Yeah. And, you know, they've gotten overweight type 2 diabetes and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Talk to me about that connection. Yeah. So I think
1: this, uh, I've always looked at it is that uh, being good in business is, is good. That, that, that's really good and that, that's a goal but I think if you lose the other areas body being one your family being another what have you really gained and so I've always thought that really you're looking at each of these is, and that my mind works this way and maybe that's the accounting piece of it is the buckets it's like okay well mm-hmm. these are these pieces of my life that each of those are going to be important and I'm going to work on each of those pieces and so I think that's that's really the the thing I would say is that you you really on the business side if you'll lose one of those things then you're really not gonna end up where you intended to be in any you know so you're kind of you, you win in one and lose in another we'll,
0: what about just a win-win So figuring out how to do both of those. Which really translates back into your strategy of growing slow and consistent over time. Yes. Right? What what does it matter to have a huge win only to then suffer a big valley the next year? Right. Exactly. Um, So in fitness, by staying, and even your point of, I want to do this when I'm 70, it's not about winning... Uh, the Iron Tribe competition this right. weekend, right? right? It's, be more, it's more about playing with your grandkids and yeah. being super healthy. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So let's translate into balance. Okay. I know you've been married to your wife, your wife Ashley, of 24 years. you yes. got four kids. Talk to me about the importance of your time and connection with your wife and family and kids. And again, that's an area that often gets overlooked as you're building a business. How how do those two play together? Yeah. So I, I want to lean in on this part because I think that
1: most people um, look at what people in business have done and say, that's great. Uh, but actually, uh, that part of it, the business part of it, is, in my opinion, a lot easier hmm. than the family part. Yeah. So about... 12 13 years ago i actually read a book um, right when it came out it made and I'm, i may be off a little bit on timing but i read a book that patrick linsyoni wrote the three big questions of a frantic family and in the foreword i'll never forget it it was one of those moments that you just you won't forget because it's so impactful is in the foreword he asked the question or someone asked the question in the foreword is have you saved your best thinking for your business or your family? Hmm. And I thought, wow. So am I being more strategic at my business or am I being more strategic with my family? And I've never, you know, you hear about, you know, people's funerals and things they talk about. And so what they talk about is, well, this is what the person poured out. This is who they serve. These are, the, here are their family members. And it's, so it really kind of woke me up to think, OK, well, if I'm doing this strategic stuff at Arlington, what should I be doing for my family? So that really woke me up to, to hey, I'm going to get really good at this. And actually, I love it. It's actually fun. Hmm. And so I think the, to me, then I, what I would say is the business part of it. It's actually easier. I mean, you have, you have kids, it's hard. It is hard. It's not easy. So for anybody out there that wants to try it, it's not easy. And so it's actually much more humbling than business, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. So, All right, well, talk to me about your family and what it looks like.
1: Yeah, so I have a uh, 20-year-old daughter, and uh, she's um, in interior design. She's studying at Auburn right now. I have a 17-year-old daughter um, who is actually going to TCU. She'll play tennis at TCU. So she's excited about that she starts next year so go go uh, horn frogs um, and then I have a sixteen year old son he'll actually be sixteen in a few days um, and then I have a fourteen year old daughter so two out of the house two in the house and okay. so I'm kind of
0: I'm kind of you know straddling the fence on being an empty nester You're a few years ahead of me yeah I can see how that would be a fun stage yes. uh, but certainly enjoying the stage I'm in now as well all right so This is really cool because you are serving what you call disruptive families and you're looking for families where you can create um, and help them build better families. So in order for you to do that, And to stay in congruence, right? You have to be building an amazing family. Yeah. Right? So you're really having to live it out as you explain to these families, here's what I suggest. So give us some practical tips because it's easy to kind of talk 10,000-foot view and say, yeah, I'm saving my best thinking for my family. But what does that actually look like with four kids when you get down to it, I mean, I know I struggle with creating one-on-one time with each kid. Um, what does that actually look like? Yeah, that that is a spectacular question. What I would
1: say to Forrest is, is that the the thing that I would also back up and and would be underneath every bit of our conversations is that how well am I leading myself? Hmm. There, if there is a gap between the way that I'm leading myself and what I am saying to the people at Arlington. To my kids, to my wife, there will be, that—that—that—that—that that that, that that is the distance between what, what I sense is, and a lot of leaders, is that if they don't have that gap understood, which everybody has a gap. I've got a gap. So, what is that gap, and am I working on that? But if you think about it, if I lead myself incredibly well, Arlington will do just fine. If I lead myself well, my kids will look at me and say, you know what, wow. That that's he, he may not be doing everything right, but he's doing what he says that mm-hmm. I should do. Mm-hmm. And so that's been kind of the theme across uh, f- for me that I've learned over a period of time is that the better I can get and, and really not press it down. I don't even tell – what I say is don't even tell people what you're doing. Just do it. Just live it out. Just live it. They see it. They'll catch it. But if you try to teach people – they don't normally catch it mm. because it's the, the old saying is that the teacher shows up, but the student's got to be ready. And so just just live it, get better. And so that's how, so the practical piece of that is, is, is this, this is real practical. So I believe within, whether it's business, family, you have to create systems to allow you to execute. And so the systems within a family, for example, are, are uh, creating family uh a motto, you know, creating, for us, it's a family meeting, uh, at dinner, every Sunday night, we have a family meeting. And so we're doing things that are in the flow of the normal way that things operate for a family, but we're just tweaking them a little bit. And another good example is, is, uh, is with Ashley, my wife, is that, you know, she can get my attention. We have a, we have a business meeting on Sunday night. And all that is is a time for, she, for her and I to get our schedules coordinated. But mm-hmm. she calls it a business meeting, so my, my ears perk up. Okay, oh, yeah, <laughs> okay, business meeting. I got it. And so I know it's going to be short, sweet, to the point, and, so, and, and have a purpose. And so that's worked out real well. So really, as you think about uh, your family and how to practically do these things, I do think that's the part that becomes important when you become strategic. There's one thing to have a vision, as you know, and then there's one thing to have these steps and I see the biggest, it's the strategy to execution piece. And the difference between strategy and execution are the systems, like, and, and, and you have to get creative. It's like, okay, well, family dinner, we're already there. Mm-hmm. Why not create a family meeting? And, and you don't want to over talk it or over try to teach, but it's, hey, ask great questions. One of the most powerful things to do is just ask great questions. What does it mean to be a Walton?
0: What does it mean to be a Polk? What does it mean to be fill in the blank? Love it. So give me one more practical with the kids. How, how were you able or were you able to carve out not only group time with them but individual time, uh, which I think is so important and it gets incrementally harder with each kid that yes. you add? How have you been able to do that? Yep. And, and so
1: for the way that we've done it in our family is that we've had these events, and really they're ages, coming-of-age events, where we take them on different uh, trips. And so at 13 years old, uh, each of our children went on a mission trip. And, um, and the important thing is, for us, is that I, didn't, I wanted to take them on a mission trip, but at the same time, we did learning together. So we, we traveled together and we learned together. So there was never, well, we just went on a mission trip. But we actually learned together and learned. We had a, um, you know, a kind of a set criteria for what we were going to learn together. We agreed on it before we went. So we went on a mission trip and did the, the, the mission, but we also learned together. And that, that seemed to be really powerful. That's what they remember. Hmm. So at 13, we did that. Then um, around age 15, depending on their grade, 8th or ninth grade, I then would take them to JH Ranch, in um, which is I, I've done that now with uh, three of my four children, and uh, I'll take my my daughter, my youngest, uh, next year. I've already signed up, ready to go, um, which is just a spectacular place um, to reinforce some of the things. Some of the most powerful things that come out of that is that it's it's the conversation time to help my children um, identify what it looks like. That their future mate. Mm. So what what does that look like? So I'm I'm a big, we'll think ahead before the genie gets out of the bottle. Let's go ahead and plan ahead. So, you know, when it shows up, you know, you you don't have to make an emotional
0: decision. You've already pre-made what it looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I'm a big fan. As I told you, I just got back two days ago with my second daughter. So anybody listening who have not considered JH Ranch with your kid, I would highly recommend it just like Ken. That's great. And then,
1: Really kind of the other pieces, um, and, and some of the things that we do are giving our children alternatives to what, uh, so alternatives to what they would otherwise be doing. So one of the things that we've done is that we have um, our, our children, when they graduate, we've said, hey, we'll take you anywhere you want to go. And so we'll take you on a trip to anywhere you want to go. So I just got back from taking my uh, daughter who's going to TCU. Um, I just got back from taking her to, uh, on a graduation trip. And it's just where'd she pick? So she she wanted to go to the French Open. She's a tennis player. Oh, that's awesome! To the French Open. So, and uh, I didn't tell her until we were there. That was on my bucket list too. Okay, (laughs) So I'd always wanted to go. The very cool French Open.
0: So. So your point is, instead of them maybe getting together with other graduating seniors and going doing something that could be maybe dangerous or harmful. You provide that opportunity and a very safe and structured family experience, something yeah. they want to do anyway. I graduated. Let me go celebrate. Yeah. Am I hearing yeah. you correctly? It,
1: it is. And and really, there's um, I'm very um, open with them, Ashley and I, is there's no pressure. You can go do that if you want to. It's really up to you. You're 18 now. You can do whatever you want to. You're a stranger in the house after your last semester. You know, we kind of train them is that they, you know, kind of play like you're in college almost. Mm-hmm. But in when it comes to the graduation trip it's totally up to them um, my first daughter chose to go with me and 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 bring a friend and then my second daughter chose to go with me and the other two don't that's fine yep. but it's just giving them an alternative um, because that's something that that I believe is important is giving them the the a way to ex, to have that event and then also being with you know me is kind of nice you know it's, it's absolutely pretty special
0: so that's awesome. All right, so I'm going to transla- transition into the final B, and I saved it for last, and that's Bean. And I know you to have a very strong Christian faith. Uh, you've made an impact on my life, as I mentioned, uh, when we started back 10 years ago with Neverthirst, and uh, you really were influential and um, very helpful in us getting started in the right direction. Talk to me about your faith and how that has undergird really everything that we've talked about And even impacting these wealthy families who I'm just going to imagine some of them have everything that the world would say they should have. And they're trying to fill voids in their life. I don't know. Maybe you only work with Christian families. I really truly don't know. But talk to me about your relationship with with Christ and how that impacts all these other areas. Yeah. And so the the spiritual part of it um,
1: is the part that I would tell you is it, it helps me be the best I can be. And so I always look at it, and, and, I, and I will attribute this, to the, and I call it, the. I tell my kids, who's the Who's the gloat? You know, you hear the goat, who's the gre- greatest of all time. Well, what about the gloat, the greatest leader of all time? Hmm. Who is the greatest leader of all time? I ask my kids that. And they say, they, they can look at it from a secular, or however, or spiritual, it's Jesus. He is the greatest leader of all time. Hmm. He still has the most followers.
0: <laughs> you see so, yeah,
1: so you can you can like slice this any way you want to. But mm-hmm. he, and so the, the 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 thing that I always look at is that is that if that is kind of the core of myself, and then I just em, I look like, I emulate that over a period of time, pushing forward to be that type of person, then it attracts other people. And you don't even have to tell people. This, again, it goes back to just be the best you can be. Just grow yourself. And so the faith part of it has been a very important part, part of me. Now, the, the practical piece of it is, is like, and, and I actually enjoy this, I have quiet time in the morning. I, I think that's probably my favorite part of the day. Mm-hmm. And so my discipline is, is I'm a tea drinker, a <laughs> so green tea drinker. So I get tea, go uh, do my quiet
0: time, And that's how I start the day. Let me get granular on that uh, specific topic. So what time do you get up? What does that look like? How long do you spend in the Word? Is that Word and prayer? Just unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so my my discipline is um, 6.15
1: every morning I'm up. I try to get to the office by 7, and by 7.30 I'm completed with my quiet time. Okay, so you do it at the office. I do it at the office. Interesting. Okay. And I actually tried doing it at home, and what I found out is that— my kids and others know i'm at home <laughs> and they'll Comes come to my office yeah yep. so i do have an office in my home which is uh which is great but that's it's also a uh and i like it to be totally like no interruptions no um technology it's just
0: it's just a very um it's a very precious time for me and so it's, it's a reflection time well, and, and part of living that out is, I would assume, just like your staff knows where you're going to be at lunch every day, they know, hey, don't bother Ken from seven thirty to whatever time because that's his quiet time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. And I've never
1: told anybody at Arlington. I'm assuming they all know, just mm-hmm. because that's it's
0: you know it's what you do. Yeah. Okay. So how else practically does this look in your life? I mean, I know you're a member of a local church. I know you're a leader in that church. Do you have a small group? Do you have an accountability group? Like, how do you live this out? Yeah. So, and
1: I'm a member of a local church. I think that's like it's super important. It's the the support system that was created, and it's it's undefeated. It mm-hmm. really is. It's undefeated. And so, um, as well as having accountability, uh, spiritual accountability, business accountability, family accountability, and so how that's uh, lived out is, I just have two people in my life. That I ask from time to time, and, and I just share with them and say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here are the things that, um, that I need to get. I I know what I need to get better at. I think, and what do you think? And 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 just allow them to
0: hold me accountable. And so, any kind of small group or anything? Do you study with any other yep. men or? So my so my I, I had
1: a, a period of doing small groups, you know, like a men's small group, mm-hmm. and I did for a long period of time. I even taught those for a period of time. Uh, as my kids got a little older, um, um, time kind of pushed those out, and my small group has really been the boards that I've been serving on. So I'm very, um, I have a, you know, two boards that I serve on that are a nonprofit. and I, I would say that really has become my you know, small group, my group of people that I'm working with now that's a little bit different than the accountability mm-hmm. I think the important thing is is that is having somebody you can you know because doing it alone is well I think it's impossible I don't think we're built to do it alone and I think it's a just, recipe for disaster a recipe for disaster and I would I would uh, say yes to that and so I think that that's that's the most important part is having people in your life mm-hmm. uh, but as far as
0: small small groups appear small groups I have actually am not in a current small group. So out of curiosity, with your advisory board, is there any spiritual accountability there or is that purely business? Yeah, purely business. Okay. And so we, uh, across Arlington, we have uh, families of all different faith. Across our advisory board, we have of all different faith. Got it. Okay. Well, Ken, I uh, really enjoyed having you on. I think this is very practical information that anyone could use who's aspiring to grow anything of value. I mean, what I've heard you say consistently since we started was ultimately, what does it matter to have a successful business if you're not successful at home, if you're not successful with your family, right? Yes. And um, I mean, that's just so consistent with what this show is about, who I want to surround myself with. Thank you for the impact you've had on me. You've had an impact on a lot of my friends, uh, some which you probably don't even know, but uh, But, again, just thank you for coming on and spending a little time with us. I know you're busy. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Got a T-shirt for you there behind you. All right. Uh, Body Being Balanced Business, a little TribeCast shirt. And uh, we will be coming at you next week with another episode. Thank you, Ken.